What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, Ja Morants, I suppose, Joe Jacksons, Ja Raps, of course. We've got Jays. We've got them for days. Josh, how you doing? Did you say Joe Jacksons? Joe Johnsons. We we can have Joe Jacksons too. Sure. That's a I mean, Memphis why not? Memphis product. White Station High School. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Jackson, Joe Johnson's, we got them all. I was also thinking Shoeless Joe Jackson, but you sure. even saved it better. Let's pay homage to the, yes, the very good Memphis player. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> we got Jason McGowan for days. Josh, how you doing? I am ready to talk some soccer. I I feel so subconscious when I'm putting these questions together <laughs> because I, I I know literally nothing, and so I I, I start with I mean. The World Cup is helpful because that's absolutely – and, and the the national teams. The national mm-hmm. teams, there's always something to talk about. And then there yeah. are a couple other things. So it's not like there – it's not like it's hard to find things that seem to be relevant right now. I'm just not positive how relevant they are, and I'm not great at then formulating, formulating questions – around those things and it just feels like there's so many there like there are a million things to talk about like there's 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 one golf tour and and there's gonna be even like more so one golf tour soon and but there are a million different places i could go with (laughs) soccer and it is a tad bit overwhelming but nonetheless (laughs) we have a list of 10 and and not only is it one golf tour, there is one ginormous headline relating to said golf tour. Right. You know, exactly. Where it was very much, okay, we're going to talk about this joining of forces for most of this. Yeah, I feel like you almost have the opposite thing I did, where for a while I was kind of worried I wasn't going to be able to find enough different things to talk about. Sure. And yeah, I mean, you could just pick 500 different things because that's the fun of soccer is that it just never ends and there's always stuff happening everywhere. Right. <laughs> Right. I I went I, I I am happy with my list of questions. We'll see how it goes. But I am <laughs> right now happy with my with my list of questions. Is there anything else we need to discuss before we dive in to before I grill you on the sport? Let's fire up the grill. If you weren't here for last week's pod, this is the two-week summer hiatus that Josh and I take every year at this point to talk about the sport that we are individually entrenched in that the other is not. So last week we did 10 questions on the world of golf, Josh asking the questions to me, and this week we're doing soccer the other way around, me asking questions to Josh. At some point, we'll get back. Some point being seven days from now, we'll get back to basketball in some way, shape, or form. But it's a two-week hiatus, and then we'll we'll return to to the sport that is normally discussed on this podcast in college basketball. But we're halfway through our two-week hiatus. Last week was ten questions on golf. It's on our YouTube channel and our podcast feed if you haven't seen it already. But I believe that's all the housekeeping. Let's hop right into it. We're we're on the doorstep 
of the Women's World Cup. That's the rumor, at least. I met somebody here in D.C. Met somebody. That's a weird way to put it. Jess has a friend here in D.C. that she works with who's going to all of the knockout stages. Wow. That's sick. That's very cool. Also, if you can hear the police sirens outside of my window, I apologize. In a slightly (laughs) different spot in the apartment today due to some home improvement projects and therefore we're closer to the main exterior window (laughs) of the apartment so um it is okay don't panic there are no emergencies at least not on this podcast at least not right now whatever emergencies going on outside the window uh is is not including me but women's world cup i have some i have a u.s women's national team specific question and then just a broader women's world cup that's the other part about this i feel like my questions can get very elementary from a how they're posed because like i don't have four questions worth of space to spend mm-hmm. on just the u.s women's national team sure if i, I mean like if, if we I could do a 10 20... question segment just on the sure. four, four of these topics i'm sure you're going to cover yeah sure exactly mm-hmm. so um, that's the other part of it, but I have one women's national team question and a women's world cup question to follow. Quite simply, what is this, what is the state of the union for the U S women's national team? I, I felt like for a long time that I was pretty familiar with the U S women's national team, whether that's because the U.S. men's national team wasn't that fun to follow because they weren't in the World Cup and the women's team kind of took center stage in terms of the national soccer world for this country. And also the whether it's the good or bad press around the women's national team and the players on that team for a while, it just felt like I was very... That relative to how I normally am, I was pretty aware of the happenings around this team and I was looking at the the roster that was announced on you know a couple weeks ago for the World Cup and I could confidently tell you about three of the people on the roster. So are we in between eras? Are the three people that I see on the roster still super important members of the team? Maybe not so much. Right now they're the betting favorites to win the World Cup but it's also much closer than it has been in years past. And it feels like U.S. dominance is not nearly as much of a foregone conclusion as it might have been in years past and and even in their group. Now, it seems like they got a pretty, a relatively tough group compared to other teams, but I think they're like plus 350 to win their group stage, which is, while still the very heavy, which while being a heavy favorite, does not feel like dominance is is something you should be as confident in in this World Cup. So talk to me, state of the union of all of those things. There's like seven questions. <laughs> yeah. Take it wherever you'd like. You're, you're definitely right about the roster construction and to the kind of new era changing of the guard part of your question. I would say this tournament is the beginning of the next era because the best players on this team, some of them at least are in their early twenties. 
Sophia Smith is the best player in the NWSL. Sophia Smith is one of the best three players on the planet. She is the most complete forward I have ever seen play this sport. She's phenomenal. She's the best player on this team. You probably haven't necessarily heard of her because she came from Stanford to the Portland Thorns, and this is her first major tournament because mm-hmm. she's just in the past you know, four years really integrated herself into this team. Alex Morgan is going to start. I'm sure that's one of the names you knew. She's mm-hmm. She had a phenomenal NWSL season. She's been great since she got to San Diego. She's very, very important. She's going to be the starting striker. Rose Lavelle, Lindsay Horan are going to start in midfield. Those are two of your other kind of staples, sort of the bridge from the last era to this era. You know, the, the players in their late 20s, super experienced, still playing at a super high level. So they're around. Alyssa Nair is going to be the goalkeeper, just like she has been for years at this point. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you are talking about a lot of new names, specifically in defense. Naomi Gurma's in her second professional season. She's the best defender in the NWSL. I absolutely love her. She's sensational. To me, she's the best defender on this team too. But again, you probably haven't heard of her because she was playing at Stanford two years ago. Mm-hmm. And part of this is that Becky Salbrun, the captain, who would have also started, is injured. So she's not available. Mallory Swanson, who's been around, even though she's still in her early 20s as well, injured, not available. So there are also a couple pieces that fans may have heard of or kind of be aware of that aren't on this team because of injury. In terms of roles, like I said, Alex Morgan's going to start. She's still super important. Megan Rapino is going to come off the bench some. <laughs> she just announced that she's going to retire at the end of the NWSL season. So this is her last go around with the national team. She is not playing the role that you would expect where she's, you know, one of the stars, one of the best players on the team. That's just not the situation. They are loaded on the wing. And I still will 100% go to bat for her being on this roster just from a leadership experience standpoint because this team is so young and also because she's kind of a free kick specialist. She can just give you something different in the 78th minute when everybody is tired, but don't expect her to be playing huge minutes. That's kind of been the transition over the past couple years is she's still very much a big part of the team. She gets called into every camp, but she's, she's not carrying this team on the field the way that, yeah, 2019, right? She was one of the faces, and obviously she's probably the most recognizable name on this roster. She's not going to play a super huge role on the field. I would still argue her role off the field, though, is vital. So with lack of U.S. dominance, or at least less assertive U.S. dominance, which I suppose just means not dominant uh <laughs> might come other potential winners it's not like it's not like the i was looking at you know the the runner up the third place finish it's not the same three teams every year like the the the, the women's national team our, our our women's national team has won each of the last two but it's been a different collection of other teams finishing in that runner up and and, and third place spot what are some of the who are the the biggest competitors it seems to be very europe centered in terms of the biggest competitors this time around but even if it's teams players names outside of of europe what are kind of the 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 other biggest storylines heading into the event 
this is easily the most balanced, deepest, most competitive Women's World Cup ever. Partially because, yeah, this isn't a U.S. women's national team full of... Oh, the other name I forgot to mention that's been around, Julie Ertz is back in the fold. She had taken time off because of her her kid and kind of just getting you know adjusted to life as a mom, and then she came back. And so that's another name that you probably know if you just kind of pop in and out to watch this team in the World Cup and the Olympics, is she is also back and going to play a big role. But it, right, it is a young team, right? Most of these players haven't done this before. This isn't a team of, of players in their late 20s who have won two World Cups and it's kind of just business as usual. It's a new group and it's a group that's not as proven. So there's that part of it that you may not be as confident in this U.S. team for that reason. The other thing in terms of storylines is the injuries. I already mentioned U.S. lost captain and their best attacking player over the past couple of years in, in Mal Swanson. England, who just won the Euros, lost their captain, best attacking player, and Beth Mead, captain being Leah Williamson. Those are your two most talented teams just from a pure roster standpoint in the world. They both have lost two crucial players. So then you throw that in there. And then you've got, right, the kind of rise of everybody else. You're absolutely right. It's Eurocentric. I would argue there are about 10 different teams at least I could talk myself into winning. Definitely the U.S. and England as the two most talented. Spain has arguably the best player in the world in Alexia Pateas and a very good team full of Barcelona players that just won the Champions League. Now, some have said Barcelona players are not playing due to issues with the Federation. So there's that part of it too. So all mm. these teams that are the favorites have kind of these question marks. Canada won the Olympics. Striker Janine Becky tore ACL. She's not there. That's a big loss for Canada. Germany was right there with England. Germany's going to be excellent in this World Cup. The Netherlands obviously have had success in major tournaments recently. They're going to be there, although they are also dealing with some injuries. I'm really, really big on this Norway team that just can't seem to realize its potential. Maybe this is the tournament that Norway pulls something off. Denmark's going to be there. Sweden's going to be there. And the other team I would throw out there outside of Europe and the U.S. is Australia because it's at home, because Sam Kerr is the best striker in the world. Sam Kerr could kind of just win this thing by herself. And they're a top 10 team in the world talent-wise as well. But you combine the fact that they have the best player at the most important position and are at home in a World Cup where there's no clear, this is the team to beat. They're way better than everybody else. It'd be a huge upset if they lost. The injuries to the favorites, it is very much wide open. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night. There are 10 teams I could talk myself into winning this thing. And I've never felt that way before. That's sick. Yeah. It's cool. Before, before is it like three, two? Yeah. Three to four, probably. Okay. That's sick. And oh, I, I didn't even mention France too. France has, has been around, has terrific players as well. You know, the Lyon Champions League teams. Yeah. The, yeah. There are 10. I wouldn't be stunned. Some of them I would be rather surprised but mm. you could talk me into a world in which they win. What's the what's the club soccer hierarchy for the women's game? <laughs> it's a great question. I've been trying to figure that out myself, talking to different kind of professional players and getting different feels mm. for this. The, the conclusion I've come to that's been supported by people, and one in particular, 
who has played both in France and in the NWSL is Mm -hmm. your very best teams are the, the cream of the crop in Europe, your Barcelona's, your Lyon's, your Chelsea's, et cetera, Mm -hmm. because they have such an advantage over the rest of their league. So you have all of the best French players playing for Lyon and PSG, and most of them are playing for Lyon. And then you throw Lindsey Horan from the U.S. Women's National Team in there too, a couple other internationals. They're just really, really good because they're stacked. Mm-hmm. NWSL is the opposite. There's so much parity. The gap between the best team and the worst team is tiny. And so from a depth standpoint, the most difficult league is definitely the NWSL. But if you throw all the teams out there, I think there would be a handful of European teams that would beat the NWSL teams just because the talent is spread out across the league, mm, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, So it, the gap is really small. So it just, you know, the NWSL teams would be competitive in the Champions League, no doubt. They probably just wouldn't win it because instead of having 10 internationals, they have three to five. Sure. That's interesting because you, you know, in the discussion with, I I didn't have that question written down, but I asked it because you referred to several players on the women's national team that play in the NWSL Mm -hmm. as some of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's generally not something we're doing with the men's national team. Like there's, there's some of, there's some hinting at the possibility, but any of the guys that you might hint at that possibility play in Europe. Yes. Yes, there is a clear established hierarchy on the men's side. You go to Europe. Europe is the best. The Champions mm-hmm. League is the best. Yes, very astute observation. Thank you. I feel like that. I feel like you're you're giving me a layup, giving me credit for <laughs> observing that the that Europe is 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 higher in the hierarchy versus the MLS. But I'll but I'll take the layup. I'll take the two points. Um. Okay, men's national team. It's July 10th, Monday, July 10th. Last night, they, last night, it was last night, right? Yeah. Not mm-hmm. two nights ago. Last night, they beat Canada in penalty kicks in the Gold Cup. Yes, it was not with the best team that they could put out there, but it was still almost a result that hasn't happened on U.S. soil in like 70 years, right? Yep. Um, yep. And it would have also been a Gold Cup exit in a round earlier than since like 2000 or something. So it was, it would have been a striking result. And I think it still seems to carry a little bit of weight, even though they did end up winning. Um, It's, it's interesting because I like, quite frankly, I like won't really start paying attention to the men's national team until like late 2025 Mm -hmm. as we're gearing up for a world cup here in the States. And I guess it's specifically like it's the official is North America, right? It's co-hosted with, with, is it Mexico and Canada or just, Mm -hmm. or just Canada? Okay. All right. Yep. All three. Uh, So my question is, I mean, in, in some ways it feels like I should feel different about the U S men's national team. And I was listening to a podcast that wasn't soccer centric, but kind of there was some impromptu soccer discussion about the men's national team and about, you know, things like 
if you showed this roster and the the kind of the makeup and the skill and the speed of this roster to somebody 30 years ago and said this is what the U.S. men's national team looks like, that it would be kind of crazy to think about. And it wouldn't be the type of roster that that the men's national team used to put on the field. But in many other ways, it feels like we're just kind of running in the same circle that we always are, that there's a lot of there's some talent, but how cohesive of a unit are they actually? We don't really know. It always seems like we don't really have any idea. There always seems to be a conversation about whether or not the the coach, the leader should stay or go. And as a result, it just kind of also feels like nothing has actually changed. So my question behind all of that is how am I supposed to feel about the U S men's national team right now? Oh, you should feel and, very, and, and oh. which direction, like, is it, am, should I feel very good? Joy? Should I feel not very good? Um, I'm doing the thing where I give you possible answers and I should never do that <laughs> as the question asker. So I will just shut up and let you talk. Oh, you should feel very, very good. Okay. This is going arrow pointing directly up after World Cup, where I know people weren't thrilled with the result and it was just getting to the round of 16 and the, the Netherlands game was disappointing. They, performance-wise, were outstanding in terms of being able to dominate the ball, to render England toothless for 90 mm-hmm. minutes. From a tactical execution standpoint, I was super, super impressed. Okay. That wasn't just kind of finding a way to get through. That was imposing your will on people, which is something this team typically has not been able to do. Then you combine that with the fact that the A team went into the Nations League and just kind of thumped everybody for the, the semifinals and the final. They are clearly the best team in CONCACAF right now, the North American region. What, what was the last time you could say that? Has that ever been true? Like I mean, you said been clear a, cut. Yeah, it's never been this clear cut, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that Mexico is just a disaster right now. They've mm. already gone through two managers since the World Cup ended, and it—it's not just that the, this U.S. team is the best U.S. team ever. It's also that Mexico is just not in a good spot right now. Gotcha. And Canada is on the verge of bankruptcy. It's just not great for everybody else. So <laughs> we'll but, take it. Just on the field. I mean, they they are clearly better than everybody else right now. What that means in terms of the rest of the world is the interesting question. To me, they're yeah. a borderline top 10 team. I really, really believe in this group and the direction they're going in. And there is a Copa America here next summer where they're going to play against the really good South American teams mm-hmm. as kind yeah. of the preparation for the World Cup. They're letting the host nations, Canada, Mexico – participate in this bigger Copa America, which is going to be awesome. So you're going to get to see potentially how this team stacks up against the Argentinas, the Brazils, those kind of teams. Yeah, it's been off the field. It's been a train wreck. People had their thoughts about Berhalter coming back with everything that went down. That's a different conversation. If we want to Mm -hmm. get into it, we can. But on the field, this is so clearly the best collection of talent that's ever happened their one big flaw in the world cup appears to have been addressed because they just went and landed fuller and balgan who scored 
20 plus goals in league on scored against PSG this season, added him into the fold for the nation's league. So now they have a striker. It's the one thing they couldn't, nobody could ever be happy with the strikers. And now they have a striker They're It's all pointing upward. And these guys are going to be in their mid twenties by 2026, you know, tested in Europe world cup under their belt. This is very different than the, the women's situation where this is, this is your team by and large moving forward. Mm-hmm. These guys are all going to be there in 2026. They're all going to be in their primes. It's, I've never felt this good about the team. I'll put it that way. Do you, so so what I remember from the from the the round of 16 game was just how difficult everything felt like it was for the US team and the Netherlands just kind of let them exhaust themselves and then just countered and it never really felt like the US was on the same level as that Netherlands team. Is that a fair thing to remember? Yeah, in terms of that game, without broader context, yeah, that's pretty accurate. And and the issue in the World Cup was the final third, specifically mm-hmm. actually getting crosses to go to players mm-hmm. because the player or players in the number nine position are not pure goal scorers who are finishers who like to get on the end of headers and crosses. Mm-hmm. And... So when you put a bunch of crosses in for guys who are not built to go win headers, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, the gap between those two teams is not all that big. Another ones probably have a little bit more talent. I mean, Denzel Dumfries just played in a, a Champions League final. Virgil van Dijk has won a Champions League. He's won mm-hmm. a Premier League with Liverpool. Not quite the player he was in his at his very best when he was clearly the best defender in the world, but. It, yeah, it wasn't a disappointing result. To me, they were two pretty evenly matched teams, and the Dutch were just better on that day. Okay. All right. Then then I will forgo the question I was going to tack on to the end of that. Okay. Okay. Um, the other men's national team question I have is player-specific. Um, what is what is Christian Pulisic's standing in the European soccer <laughs> ecosystem right now? Because... Right, his departure from Chelsea was ceremonious, if not relieving. And it seems like by the time it, it seems like that by the time he left or is about to leave, right? I mean, he's he's on his way to AC Milan. That's a, like a that's like happened, right? That's not just like it's, it's going not to happen. Official yet, but the. Everybody is reporting that the it's agreed they just haven't officially announced him as an AC Milan player. But yeah, it's I mean okay. it could happen any day. Okay. And that he had you know there was at one point I think it was the nineteen twenty season the COVID year that he was like in pretty spectacular form and then never really got back to it. But reading about it's you know there were Lyon offers from to Chelsea and Pulisic was like I'm not I don't want to play for Lyon so that's why that didn't happen so clearly there is I mean he's going to go play for a team in the top league in Italy like it that that's a pretty that's a pretty good spot to to be in so he clearly has value. I'm just curious of the the ebbs and flows of his value. It seems like it, he was he's going to a place, you know, there was talk about him wanting to play more in kind of preparation for an important next several years 
for the U.S. men's national team. So, right, top league in Italy, but also he's kind of doing that I just want to play more thing, which makes me feel like maybe his value isn't as much as I think it might be. These are all of my wonderings. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a really interesting question for a couple of different reasons. I would also start by saying people here in the U.S. view Christian Pulisic very differently than people in Europe. Okay, how so? <laughs> I am sure there are many Chelsea fans who had no clue who he was when he arrived there, sure. despite the fact that he was playing minutes in the Champions League for the second best, second biggest club in Germany. It's not like he came out of nowhere from MLS. He was playing for Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League. Right. And he was playing meaningful minutes for Dortmund. And he just kind of showed up to Chelsea. Everybody here freaked out because, of course, it's a U.S. men's national team star playing for Chelsea. Sure. There just wasn't... And by the time he actually got there, the manager who wanted him was gone. And the managers since have really just had no interest in him for whatever reason. He needed to go. That's the first thing. They continue to just stockpile players, and now they're finally getting rid of some of them, but they literally had a team too big for their dressing room last season. He just Sick. wasn't getting on the field because they continued to buy all these guys that just went right over him in the depth chart. So staying at Chelsea was just not a solution. They needed to sell players to create space. He was one of the viable candidates to go, obviously. Yeah, it. and one of the things I've said from the very beginning is that people just need to understand there aren't such things as lockdown starters at Chelsea. Mm. Because Chelsea is just too big and has too much money. There are 18 starters there at any given time, just like Manchester City or any other of the best teams in the world. Mm. If you get hurt, like Pulisic has, you might just not get back into the team for two months because the guy who comes in after you is everybody as good as you, so he scores for a little while. He's not mm -hmm. coming out because you got healthy again. Or... The opposite, when Christian Pulisic went on that tear that you mentioned, he was playing consistently for a month and a half because he was playing really well. And then he got hurt, and then he doesn't just get his spot back. And mm -hmm. so it was never a – this idea of him being a quote-unquote starter at Chelsea, I just never bought into because I don't really feel like it exists except for a, a handful of players. You know, Maybe your goalkeeper and a couple stars where you know that guy's going to start every week. But mm -hmm. Pulisic is just not that guy. And yeah, he's joining an AC Milan team that was not particularly great last season and still made the Champions League semifinals. This is a Milan team that absolutely needs somebody that does what he does because they have one dynamic attacking player right now. And it's glaring when he isn't the best player on the field. They just can't score and can't do anything. So I like the fit from that standpoint. Apparently he is going to play as a central attacking midfielder, a number 10, which is interesting in his preferred position. So that's good. Overall, I... I like the move and it's just one of those things where he's not a Chelsea quality player and that's okay because there are only about, you know, a hundred or so of them in the world when, right. It's the guys who would go to Manchester city, to Barcelona, to mm -hmm. whatever club, you know, Real Madrid, Manchester United, etc. There are plenty of other really good teams around the world that could use a player like Christian Pulisic just because it didn't work at Chelsea doesn't mean it's, disastrous or the end of his career he needed he needs to play it seems like he's going to get that opportunity at Milan and he's going to get that opportunity for a team that 
recently won a Serie A title that is going to play in the Champions League, made the semifinals of the Champions League this season, mm-hmm. is one of the three to four best teams in Italy. Now, there's, again, no guarantee he's going to start every single game. He's going to have to earn it. But it seems like the pathway is a lot clearer. So I'm just not all that worried about it. It, There are plenty of guys who just can't cut it at Chelsea. It doesn't mean they're bad players. It doesn't mean they can't be in Europe. Because sometimes I feel like we use Europe as this broad thing that either people can play in Europe or they can't. And there's just a massive difference between being at Chelsea and being at insert random, you know, Dutch team here. For mm-hmm. example, Ricardo Pepe, one of the U.S. men's national team strikers, was playing for Groningen last season. You've probably never heard of Groningen. It's no. a fine club. They're just an average Dutch team. Mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic would be their best player, hands down. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't necessarily need to be going down to that level, but it's not all just Europe. Chelsea is a completely different bar that he just couldn't meet because of probably – Talent-wise, he's not quite there. And also the injuries. Mm-hmm. You're just not going to get fourth and fifth chances at Chelsea. It just There are guys that they're just going to go buy somebody to fill your spot if you can't do the job. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. You see when he plays for the U.S., it's not that he's not good or has lost his talent. He's excellent. He just might not be Chelsea's starter good. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's a very American way to react to it. Right. I mean, it's because here it's either you're good enough to play in the NBA or you're not. Mm -hmm. You're either you're good enough to play in the NFL or you're not. And it's not like going from the Panthers to the Broncos changes that all that much. Right. Right. It it's still the same league and in many ways, the same players. Like the same challenges mm-hmm. you have at one place are yes. going to be the same at the other. The ecosystem in Europe is just so much more, so so much bigger that right. you can end up in one of the you know the the what the fourth best best league in the world. What's the high, where, where is Syria? Yeah, and, four, four, probably and, maybe three, and very much belong. And very much deserve to be there. And very much be able to compete with teams that you might run into from the Premier League in the Champions League. And it still be true that maybe you just weren't quite, whether it's the situation or, like you said, the fact that you don't get a third chance at Chelsea, that it didn't work out there. But it's, you know, especially the reaction in this country would have to be because either you make it as a basketball player in this country or you don't. Yeah. Right. It, it, and, it's the, it's the equivalent of, of, you know, Duke versus Wake Forest. We'll just keep it in the ACC, right? Mm-hmm. Guy who's a role player for Duke. If he transfers to Wake Forest, he's a starter. He's probably a star in number one, number two option. Right. right. It doesn't mean that because he wasn't getting a lot of opportunities at Duke, he's a bad player. We see that all the time where they go to some other team and they're all conference. Right. It's just, the, the bar at Duke because of the talent that John Shire can bring in whenever he wants is incredibly high. Yeah. Stupid Americans. Um, <laughs> okay. Speaking of America, let's, let's go to the MLS. Uh, we'll, we'll start with my messy stuff. <laughs> um, why did Messi come to MLS? Oh yes. Fun question. Mm-hmm. 
the simplest answer is that Barcelona didn't have the money for him and he didn't seem very excited about going to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> was he, did no but does nobody else have the money for him? Let let me add, like will you will you address that idea yeah. in in the answer as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a very good question. Yeah, because this is not a and I keep trying to emphasize this. This is not a Messi's not good enough to play in Europe anymore thing. Messi That's had the a, implication I was making. So Yeah. Cool. Messi had a very good season for PSG. He just was the arguably the best player at a World Cup. He's doing mm-hmm. just fine. He's still yeah. now a slightly diminished version of Messi because he's not 26 years old anymore, but still Messi. I don't think he wanted to play for another European team other than Barcelona. His preference was to go back to Barcelona and there were other European teams that tried to get him at least expressed interest, wanted to see if he wanted to go. And it just seems like the answer was no, because he loves Barcelona that much. He would have never left Barcelona if Barcelona had the money to pay him, but Mm -hmm. they didn't. And so he couldn't sign a contract with them. And so he had to go somewhere. And at that point you have five to 10 teams in the world and maybe one outside of the Premier League that can pay for him. And that team was PSG. Mm. So he wanted to go back to Barcelona. Barcelona still has no money. And so they would have had to basically, you know, completely overhaul the the club to bring him back. And he said, if that was even possible, it's still not, I'm not convinced they could have done it, but they might have been able to. He basically said, I don't want to be the reason that these people are losing their jobs, that the team looks this way and that these decisions had to made had to be made because of me. Mm-hmm. So it just wasn't going to work. So then... I mean, you, you could got, take less money, but whatever. Yeah, and there were even rules about that. Or is that, it not that, I, that simple? Or is it not it's that not simple? that simple. I don't know all sure. the details on that. Yeah, there's it's strange. But like anti-competition stuff? Yeah, and La Liga is very much breathing down Barcelona's necks with all this financial stuff. It's a it's a mess. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not as simple as either you pay me. He, I think, he, and this seems to be the consensus, he would have played for free, Barcelona for free if he could have. Hmm. And that's just not an option. But it's not so, as simple as, hey, I, I love the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm LeBron James. I'll take the league minimum to come play for the Cavaliers. Right, it's not right. that simple. It is, it is not that simple. Yes. Okay. Sure. So then you're looking if he – so he kind of – it was Barcelona or bust in Europe. So you're looking at Saudi Arabia and you're looking at MLS. And Miami makes a lot of sense from a cultural standpoint. He has a house there already. It's David Beckham's team. Miami is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that's really the reason is he had a, a preference that wasn't going to work. So then it came down to Inter Miami and Saudi Arabia, and he chose to have kind of the lifestyle and the the family part of it over the stupid amount of money he would have made in Saudi Arabia. Sure. What should I expect from? You can answer this. I'll, I'll pose the question in two different ways, and you can answer it how you'd like. What should I expect from Messi's tenure in Miami as part of the MLS? And how will it be different or the same to other stars of European and global soccer 
your Ibrahimovic's, your David Beckham's. How do you think it will go compared to compared to those stints in MLS? Um, and the other way I had framed it once upon a time was in a year, in two years, in three years, whenever Messi is no longer a, a part of, of MLS as a player, what will be what will we remember about his stint? Because like it 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 sometimes feels like like I don't I don't remember any of those guys like actually being like not that they didn't play, but it's not like I remember the Beckham era of MLS specifically. And maybe Messi is just so big that we will remember it, but it kind of feels like that it just won't be as big of a deal as people might think when he actually just starts playing. Will he actually play all that much? All of these things. I just have general curiosities about what this actually looks like. It's a great question. And I don't have, I don't think there's a way to have a great feel for it in totality until he actually takes the field. Sure. I I would start by reiterating what I said before. This guy can still play. He's going to wreck people. It's going to be awesome to watch. (laughs) It's not like he's, he's going to be the exact same player he was at PSG this season. He's not going to run. He's not going to defend, but he's going to get the ball at his feet. He's going to make those four sprints a game when he feels like he can create a goal and it's going to be magical. He's going to do his thing. He's going to be messy. I So I expect this to work. I guess I'll say that first from a production standpoint. I don't see him being a flop where okay. he just doesn't come and do anything meaningful. The part that I have reservations about is kind of the more implications for the league and for Inter-Miami. People still don't give MLS the respect it deserves in, in terms of the teams and the talent in the league. And so every time somebody comes over, it's, oh, this dude's just going to wreck everybody. Mm-hmm. And yet, the player, the biggest names in this league, from Jordan Shakiri to the Italian designated players, Federico and Bernadeschi and Lorenzo Insigne in Toronto, who won a European championship with Italy in the summer of 2021, to Ricky Pooch in LA. They're finally starting to figure things out. He came from Barcelona as a guy in his early 20s. These are your biggest names in the league. Their teams are all bad because mm-hmm. they're not complete teams. The best leagues in these, the best teams in this league have a bunch of guys that generic soccer fans haven't heard of because mm-hmm. they're the best cohesive units. You can't get away with two or three guys in this league. It doesn't work. It's too good. And so I get really tired of that narrative. And that's where I'm interested in Inter Miami because Sergio Busquets is coming with Messi, former teammate of Barcelona. Another guy in his late 30s who's not going to run. He's going to control the midfield. He's going to dictate tempo, but he's not going to do the the dirty work. Mm. So now you've got to find a goal scorer that's reliable and all of these guys to actually do the running for you. And this into Miami, and you got to find defense because they're just bad right now. They're not as bad as their record indicates because their midfield is injured. They would be better if they had their midfielders, but they don't right now. So it's not like he's walking into this very good situation where he's a missing piece. They're going to have Mm -hmm. to rebuild this thing entirely. 
if there's somebody that can do it, it's their man, their new manager, Tata Martino, because he's worked with Messi twice before. He managed Barcelona. He managed the Argentine national men's national team. He's also won an MLS Cup building Atlanta United from scratch. He mm-hmm. is the perfect person for this job. So I, I think the hype is going to be justified in the sense that if he's going to come in, he's going to be amazing to watch. It's going to be messy. You're not going to be disappointed in terms of what he gives you week in and week out. This mm-hmm. idea that they're just going to wreck the league, though, I don't buy. They're a fu- they are so far from being an MLS Cup contender at this moment. But a couple smart signings, Tata Martino gets a couple guys from South America that you haven't heard of, and all of a sudden they're in business. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think he's going to play most of the games. He's not going to probably play all of them, but. He, it's not like he was doing a lot of running and putting in this extra effort in Europe anyway. He can sure. basically just do what he was doing and carry it to MLS against defenders that are not, you know, of the highest caliber. So, and I, and the other part of this is all of those guys you mentioned, yes, to varying degrees, some have been massive successes, some have been significant failures. Those guys aren't messy. Messi's on a whole yeah. other level. So sure. I, I think this is going to work in terms of Messi. The part I am less convinced about is that Inter-Miami is going to become this juggernaut that can't be beaten. And the other interesting part of it in terms of kind of what it does for MLS, I do think it really helps that it's coming, building up to the World Cup. Those two things combined, I think is going to help his time in MLS have more permanency to it. That Mm -hmm. It's not just going to go away because right after that, you're talking about a World Cup. And the last time a World Cup was here, it had a massive impact on the this sport moving forward in this country from on the, mm. the men's side. So those two things combined, I do think there's going to be a lasting impact. I don't think it's going to be a situation where he comes, he goes, and everybody forgets about MLS. Do I think it's going to there's going to be a massive impact when he does leave though, because the entire nation of Argentina is no longer going to care about major league soccer when Messi's not, right. you know, it's right. not like he's going to be able to transfer all of his star power permanently, but I do think it's going to help continue to raise the profile of the league and to get really good players in the league because they want to play against Messi. They want to play with Messi, that kind of thing. So I think it's all good. I'm not I'm not too worried about it being this catastrophic failure. Mm-hmm. I just think everybody needs to calm their you know slam on the brakes a little bit in terms of what this is actually going to look like cuz they're not making the playoffs this season. It's about building for next season at this point cuz they're just awful right now. <laughs> Does his impact on MLS come more outside of this country than inside of it? Yes, 100%. Does he break the soccer circle in the sports world in this country? Like, like, does he, like, like, is Stephen A. Smith ever going to talk about Messi on, on the first take? It's a, it's a great question. And I would, I would say no other than I'm sure the first time Messi scores a free kick goal, it's going to mm. be on Sports Center because it's Messi and it's a cool free kick goal. You know, the first time sure. he does something, messy esque it's going to get mentioned because it's a it's a way to kind of connect all this together sure but I, and even in you know the miami community itself there's already some of this that some people just don't care because it's miami mm-hmm. they got bigger things to worry about and to do right it's mm-hmm. 
it's Miami. There are plenty of ways to keep yourself in, entertained in Miami that have nothing to do with soccer. And so, yeah, to me, it's much more about there are going to be all these people around the world who have no clue who player X, who's really good, we'll just give Hani Mukhtar and Nashville a shout out, are going to start appreciating I can't believe how- you're giving Nashville a, t- a shout out right now. <laughs> Unbelievable. These guys who are really good players that could be playing in Europe, they're going to get some more love, which is cool. Yeah, but to mm-hmm. me, it's much more about building the the global brand and getting people interested in Major League Soccer and to show a little bit of more respect to Major League Soccer that aren't in this country rather than raising the profile of this country. Because people are going to want to come see Messi. They're, you know, Inter-Miami selling out every game, even ones that mm-hmm. he might not play in. And that's going to continue to be a thing. People are going to want to watch Messi. But I don't think those people are the ones that are the, is kind of the goal to target in terms of long term because mm-hmm. I, I don't see people watching Messi make them become ardent MLS fans and defenders moving forward. To me, it's much mm-hmm. more about the global impact of it. Has Messi played his last European club soccer game? Ooh. I'll say yes, just because the Barcelona situation is so messy. Mm. That was a completely unintended. Well done. Well done. Completely unintended. (laughs) They're just, it's a disaster. And so I just don't see a way for them to bring him back. I would not be shocked if he ends up ending his career coming back for some kind of, maybe it's on loan one time for Barcelona where he comes and plays part of a season once they get their finances in order or something like that. I'm definitely mm-hmm. not ruling it out. Okay. Because I still firmly believe he wants to go back at some point if he can, just to kind of say goodbye to to get that experience one more time. Sure. But if I had to guess in terms of kind of permanent home, whether he's playing a full season and playing in the Champions League and stuff like that, I would say no. Do you think the 2026 World do you, does he play in the 2026 World Cup? Yes. You think there could be like a I'm retiring at the end of the World Cup kind of kind of shindig? Yes. Does that I could very sense? much see that kind of being the I feel like this is all building up to that. Yes. Okay. All right. Sweet. I got one more I got an MLS question. Yay. Um, to kind of wrap up the the U.S. soccer specific okay. chit chat, um, heartbeat of MLS right now. Um, I hear I I have friends who live in Cincinnati, and they say that Cincinnati really loves their new MLS team. I talk to people in Nashville who say that they really love yep. their new MLS team. All of these things are awesome. I also talk to people who are baseball fans and they really love their baseball team and nobody (laughs) else outside of the city in which their baseball team plays gives a damn about their baseball team. Mm -hmm. And you've hinted in, in as of late in conversations that we've had about some of this stuff that um, uh, there's things left to be desired when it comes to things like the MLS and Apple TV stuff and 
so there are still those th- things that MLS will always fight in a country where soccer is the fifth, sixth most popular sport. Something maybe, like that. I mean, it's a big four third, at third least. Third or fourth? Yeah, definitely. Do we think? Do we think hockey is more popular in this country than soccer? No, no. You don't think so? No. Okay, fair. But um, definitely, to your point, definitely trailing basketball and football at the very least. Yes. Sure. Would you describe the league as as actively still getting stronger right now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What? Yeah. What? And I ask you this question every time we do this. What? Like, what's next? Because it's got to be. It, there's got to be more to it than we're just going to ask Messi to come to the MLS and hopefully that solves all of our problems. Yeah. The the biggest thing that you alluded to that has kind of reached the end of that part of the process is the local fan support part of this. Mm-hmm. If, if you are good, people are going to show up. You see that with Cincinnati and now Cincinnati has a great fan base anyway, but those people are having the time of their lives at TQL, TQL stadium this year because they just don't lose. They had mm-hmm. won 10. I think it, I got snapped at 10 but they won their first 10 home games and then they drew. They haven't lost at home. It's a really awesome time to be a Cincinnati sports fan. Yeah. The whole city is just having the time of their lives. Like they're, they're buzzing. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Nashville too. They've been really good Mm -hmm. since they entered. They've got one of the best players in the league. They've got a cool vibe. Even a team like the union who struggled to get attendance for a long time. All of a sudden they got really good. They fill out Subaru park every week. The Timbers, the Sounders, you can go down the list. Mm-hmm. If you are good and you are functional, people are going to show up and they're going to care, which is awesome. Because that hasn't you know, been the case for the entirety of the league. Mm-hmm. The, the next part of it is really trying to establish it as a destination league, I think. Which is starting to happen. And having Messi helps with that. But this idea that you don't have to necessarily be in always looking to Europe because Mm -hmm. that's ultimately what MLS is competing with is can you get to the point, you're not going to be the Premier League, you're not going to be Bundesliga, you're not going to be La Liga, but can you get to a point where you are competitive and on the same level with the fifth, sixth, seventh best league in Europe? Can you be a top five league in the world? Not there yet by any means, but getting closer from a talent perspective. So can you continue to convince 26 year olds who have a future in Europe? Like we talked about last year, Cucho Hernandez in Mm -hmm. Columbus, Columbus, not a destination city. All due respect to Columbus, convincing a guy who has premier league experience, who could have gone to plenty of European clubs to come and play in MLS. And Atlanta United, Thiago Almada, was on Argentina's World Cup team. Now, he's about to go to Europe, but that dude is ridiculously good. Mm-hmm. You've got some – you're starting to see more and more of guys in their prime coming to MLS who – and Hani Mukhtar is a good example of this too. He was doing fine in Europe. He just kind of couldn't get his opportunity in the Bundesliga at the highest level. So he decided to come and 
do something different in MLS. He met his wife. He's got all kinds of Nashville roots now. I was talking to our friend Will about this. He said, is there any European interest for him? I said, oh, he could go play in the Bundesliga. I just don't think he's going to because he's just really happy in Nashville and they're paying Mm -hmm. him well and he's got a good life. And Mm -hmm. so that to me is the next step is the more guys you can get like that where they're choosing MLS over, say, the Dutch Eredivisie or the French Ligue 1, your fifth Uh and sixth best leagues in the world. That's the next step. And then the other part of it, I mean, the Apple broadcast deal is what the Apple broadcast deal is. You got to figure out the television, television ratings part. People aren't watching. They weren't watching with the previous agreement, which is part of the reason they went to Apple is if we can't get people to watch on ESPN and Fox anyway, why not bet on Apple? Mm. And it hasn't been great from a viewership standpoint. You got to get people here to care more because like you said, it's not like people are tuning in to watch FC Cincinnati outside of Cincinnati. It's not a fan base problem. It's a mm. general attention and specifically viewership problem. So that would be the other step that I would like to see is somehow, some way, got to get people to care more. It's it's the same regional problem that baseball has. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like in the NBA, if the Warriors and the Lakers are playing, the Grizzlies fans, the Hawks fans, the right. Magic fans – the Cavs fans, the Nets fans, they're all watching that game yep. if both of yep. those teams are good. Mm-hmm. And like if the like, you know, if the Rangers and the Astros, two teams at the top of that division, are playing each other, like nobody cares. The Reds fan the Reds fans don't care. Right. Right. And right. and that's just it, it's a really tough hurdle to have to to overcome. I am very when when a team is trying to grow or a league, I'm very much in the camp of you need to make it accidentally available on someone's guide as much as possible. Yep. That is and one that's, of the big talking points with the Apple deal is how that's difficult the, it is to find it. Right. That's the fundamental yep. issue with, with an Apple deal. Mm-hmm. Or or like only games only being shown on Pika, like all of the streaming deals, that yep. you're not going to accidentally find it you have to go looking for it and you have to know where to look. And if nothing else, a soccer game on FS1 is going to be on every, like everybody who has direct TV and everybody who has the Xfinity, like in the country, Yep, they'll accidentally scroll past it at some point. Yep. And, and there's, a, there's something to be, to be said for that, but um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's fascinating because to your point, I mean, Messi coming to MLS is the thing that people are going to talk about, but it's not like there aren't talented young European players coming to play in MLS. It just doesn't make the national news cycle mm-hmm. in sports the way that that Messi does. Yeah, and and I would also add it's not a soccer viewership problem. It's an MLS specific problem because people will watch sure. the Premier League yeah. all day long. Right. And right. that's also part of it is you're battling against other soccer content in addition to the rest of the sports and the rest of stuff on television. That's interesting because it's absolutely like you hear things about about like how the United States impacts media rights deals when it comes to soccer oh, on yeah. the other side of the, of, yeah. of the ocean. Oh yeah, which is, which makes sense, 
but is interesting. It's a, it's a very it's a very good point to make that it's not that it's not a soccer issue. Right. It's a it's an MLS specific issue. Which I have. I don't know. I don't know if that's an easier thing to to fix or a, or a harder one. Yeah, that's a good question. I have all kinds of friends who watch Premier League and just don't pay close attention to MLS at all and don't really watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I got two more. All right. One kind of golf crossover episode adjacent here. Um, how is the Saudi Public Investment Fund in, impacting the sport right now? Yeah, I figured we were going to get to this. To me, it's very, very similar to live. It's kind of the same story of there are going to be guys who take the money. Mm-hmm. It's not going to, I mean, not just there are going to be, there are guys who have taken the money starting with Ronaldo and going to any number of other players. You know, you have now two Ballon d'Or winners, the award given to the best player in the world playing in Saudi Arabia and Mm -hmm. another one in Messi, who's one of the bazillion times coming to MLS. So basically there are, I'm trying, there might be a Ballon d'Or winner or two in Europe and that's it, which is just wild, but Mm -hmm. they're going to win. They're going to get some people because of the money. That's number one. Kareem Benzema's there, Ronaldo's there. You can go down the list. The second part is they are also becoming the unloading ground for undesirable contracts that European teams won't pay. Mm-hmm. This is where Chelsea has benefited greatly. They've just basically left their undesired players and just sent them to Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia will pay them. Mm-hmm. Other teams in Europe, not particularly interested in them because they're getting paid a bunch of money by Chelsea, but you can get rid of them through Saudi Arabia. So that's another impact. And the the part of this I'm really interested in, because right now I feel like it's, it's very live-esque where some guys go, you're just going to kind of forget about them. They'll show up on your Twitter or your threads feed every once in a while because they do something. It's not like it's changing the world of European soccer because... It's a handful of guys. It's going to continue to get bigger. They're going to continue to keep throwing money at whoever they possibly can. Right now, though, it's a lot of older guys kind of looking for that final payday and a little bit easier schedule. And, you know, it's not a good league. It's gotten significantly better with the amount of players that have been bought. But there's still, it's not like they're taking the top European talent. Mm. Now, what is the thing that I am most interested in is the value of the champions league in particular, because you are seeing some guys who are still in, I think Ruben Neves who just moved from wolves is 28, 29. Hmm. Barcelona was also interested in him. Now I don't know if they had the money to pay for him, but they were trying and he went to Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia was going to pay him more money. He has, I think, maybe played in one European competition ever, and I'm not even sure he has. Never in the Champions League. And he was willing to give that opportunity up to go to Saudi Arabia for the money, which, mm. as we talked about with Liv, both on and off the air, very, their very choice. Similar. What was that? It's a very similar. Yeah, exactly. Feel how you want about it. It's their choice. It's for the money. Let's just call it what it is. So there are some guys who are passing that up, but that's the test for me. Mm-hmm. If Kareem Benzema wants to go get all of his money, that's that's fine. That's whatever. He was going to be ushered out soon at Real Madrid anyway, just because of his age. 
it if there are guys in their mid twenties who haven't gotten to t- another one is Wolfried Zaha, who's still making his decision. It sounds like he's going to stay in Europe somewhere, but he's been linked to PSG, Saudi Arabia, also trying to get him. He's played for a aggressively average in your words, Premier League team, basically his entire career. He has no European experience. He could go mm-hmm. play for a team in the Champions League, a team in the Europa League. Do those guys stay in Europe and because of the Champions League and that opportunity, or are they going to take the money? So that's kind of the the tipping point for me is, is it just that final payday where they're going to go somewhere else anyway, and it's just going to be Saudi Arabia rather than maybe MLS or somewhere else? Or are they going to be able to attract enough talent in the prime of their career where it's actually impacting the European scene much more than it is right now? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it seems very similar. Very similar. Not quite as disruptive yet, but Yeah. But but very the the, the motivations <laughs> seem to be very, very similar. Okay. Last one. Erling Holland. <laughs> Twenty three. Just scored fifty two goals in fifty three games. Won a Champions League. Is he consensus? Consensus best player on the planet right now? No. No. Okay. Definitely not consensus. So that's that's part of the discussion around here, which is which my very elementary question is what is the discussion around Erling Holland and and what is the discussion around Erling Holland historically? In terms of as, kind of what he in terms of what he's in, doing like, in historic context? W- historic context of what he's doing and the the track, the course, the if he keeps this up, mm. where does he land in the in the upper echelon of anybody who's ever played the sport ever? <laughs> What's the discussion around around Holland? Because because for someone who parachutes in for the Champions League final, it seems like he's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> But I would assume that that's not not quite the whole story, even though he's clearly spectacular. Yeah. Well, the funny the funny part is, twelve months ago, there were plenty of people who didn't think he could cut it in the Premier League in Sick. terms of being in terms of being a impact striker scoring twenty five plus goals a season. He scored fifty two. Fifty two. Yeah. By the way. Yeah, in the twenty twenty two twenty three season, that's Across. his Wikipedia page. I don't know. I don't know what that actually entails. It just said twenty twenty two twenty three Manchester City. He had fifty two goals. Yeah, that's all. All across all competitions. Across all competitions, yes. correct? Because I think it was like thirty six and thirty five games for in the Premier League. Yeah, something in there. Because what people, I'll go on my Holland rant a little bit here. What people seem to not recognize about this guy before he got to City, he was playing in. Well, he started in his native Norway, and then he was playing in Austria. Not a great league, tearing it up there. Then he went to Borussia Dortmund, much better league, was tearing it up there too. Mm-hmm. He scores goals at a higher rate in the Champions League than he does than he did at Dortmund in the Bundesliga. Hmm. This is not a a talent level issue where he struggles against better opposition. He was playing on bad or good, not great Champions League teams. And scoring goals at a higher rate than he did in the Bundesliga. I don't understand what people's reservations were about this guy. 
<laughs> and so he goes to City and he just does what he does and he scored a bazillion goals and right basically scored one every game you asked me a question last year about the most impactful signing in terms of the the upcoming season and I said Holland because I think he's going to be he could be the difference between City coming up short in the Champions League and winning the Champions League it Mm -hmm. didn't play out exactly as I thought in terms of my theory and my reasoning why but he clearly leveled them up in a way that and they still weren't great this season, despite the fact that they won the treble. There was a point where it looked like they weren't going to maybe win anything. And they turned it around and then just started wrecking people. But a lot of that had to do with, you know, they would have been a different team without him. He is yeah. so clearly the best striker in the Premier League. Now, he's also playing with the best players in the world. It's unfair to give him Kevin De Bruyne to pass the ball to him. I mean, it should be illegal. His job is... <laughs> He is so much better at it than everybody else, and his job is made so much easier by his teammates now because he's playing with the best teammates in the world. He could keep doing – I mean, he could easily score 40 in a season. He might get to 50. It, there's no – this is not the, the maximum of what he can be. This is not the ceiling at all. The mm. The question really in terms of his historic legacy for me – he's going to go down as an all-time great – is – whether he stays in the Premier League long enough to rewrite the record book completely or whether mm. he's at Real Madrid in three seasons. And so his career is kind of split enough where he doesn't kind of own one league, if that makes sense. Sure. It's part of the conversation with Harry Kane right now too. Harry Kane, if he stays in the Premier League, is going to break the all-time scoring record. If he wants to win a trophy, he probably has to go to Bayern Munich Will Spurs let him go? All kinds of transfer drama there. But sure. you know, does Holland care about that at all? Potentially breaking those records. Because he will if he stays. He's also going to rewrite, regardless of where he is, the Champions League record book. He is scoring goals at, at a rate in that competition that nobody has ever seen. And the only guy close to him is Mbappe. Mm. The two of them are just kind of going at it, which is awesome to see in terms of who's got more goals and who's scoring more goals per minute in their Champions League careers and all that kind of stuff. It, yeah, I don't know what the trepidation was. As I explained to you last year, this is a dude who's a you know 6'4 physical freak that would look in place on a track running against Usain Bolt. I, I don't know what mm. else there is. <laughs> He's a terrific athlete and a terrific actual technical soccer player. He's, He's not robot. to mention like guarding LeBron. He'd probably look... He'd right, probably right, look fine. Right. Yeah. He, he is – I've never seen a physical specimen like him. He is ridiculous. So I hope I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah. Is, is there any, like, mechanism for, like, European soccer historical stats? Like, like can – is there a database for the – the like all time European soccer goal scoring leaders depends on what you mean by European. Are you talking like, so to use your example, like Mm -hmm. let's say that Holland in his club career plays for city, then goes to Madrid, then plays for PSG, then goes to Chelsea. Mm -hmm. And that's the four clubs he plays for in his career. And then right there's Ronaldo who 
you know, played for United and then went and yep. played for Real Madrid. Is there another team in Juventus Europe? and then back Juventus, to United? Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So is there a place where I can see which one of those in this hypothetical scenario? Is there a place where I can see which one of those guys, other than just adding them up across their seasons mm-hmm. or adding them up across each season and each in particular league? I just think that would be a cool place to be able to contextualize guys that are playing all over Europe. Yeah. Does that kind of thing exist? There's not really a European club one. Now, mm. there's definitely a career goals count that is kept track of. Okay. So, you you know... You, but that we, includes literally every everything, like from to right. national team stuff as well? Yeah, and you can separate them if you want. Okay. So, for, for example, for Messi and Ronaldo, until recently, it didn't matter because they were all in Europe. Mm-hmm. Right. Messi had... I guess, so he goes to PSG, but before that, he'd only played for Barcelona. And Ronaldo had played for sport, you know, at home in Portugal, and then all in all, so he'd been exclusively in Europe as well. So it kind of worked. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, so, you know, he might become the, and there are some debate about some of the historical players and how many goals they actually scored because the, you know, the stat keeping wasn't as accurate as it is today. But we know how many goals Ronaldo and Messi have scored, that kind of thing. Mm. It it's a bigger deal for the leagues, I would say, than it is this guy has scored more goals than this guy across all European leagues, if that makes sense. So sure. it's a big deal to become the Premier League's all-time leading goal scorer kind of thing. Okay. And to become the Champions League all-time, the European Cup all-time leading goal scorer, because it didn't mm. used to be called the Champions League. Those kind of things. But from a... It was... It, I would say more than anything else, it's a tool used to compare Messi and Ronaldo. Sure. <laughs> 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 of just, they've scored, right, more goals for club and country, reached the 700 goal mark, those kind of things. Gotcha. That's all of my questions. I'm out. All right. I, I think I asked like 25 questions <laughs> overall. <laughs> like between long-winded questions and follow-up questions, there were many more than 10. But I asked all 10 that were also on my paper, so... I appreciate you indulging me. Anything uh, – here's my here's my um, sports media degree kicking in here. Is there anything <laughs> that we didn't talk about that you'd like to talk about on this year podcast, Josh? Yeah, you can find all my soccer content, touchlinetalk.substack.com or Touchline Talk on YouTube and all those good things, social media. I think we covered most of it. I didn't know if you wanted to get into the Burhalter stuff or not, so – I'm definitely okay that we didn't because that's kind of a mess. <laughs> okay, all right, we'll we'll save it. I'm sure that he'll still. I'm sure that it'll still be a mess in 12 months because, like <laughs> last, like 12 months ago, it was also probably still kind of a mess. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll we'll get to it next time on Dragon Ball Z. Um, <laughs> there you go. Summer hiatus in the books. Always a blast. Always absolutely. A blast. Very much one of my uh, favorite two weeks on the pod, on the pod all year. Um, We will regroup and turn our attentions back towards college hoops. There's some things going on, um, not a ton. We can get creative, and uh, but it's July 10th. We're not all that far away from turning our attentions to an extensive 
season preview that we always do leading into the college basketball season. So that's not too far down the road, but we will connect the dots between now and then on the pod over the next you know month, month and a half or so. Josh, you got anything else? I don't believe so. Cool. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, all of those fun things. And we will be back next Monday. As far as I know, there are no plans to skip next Monday. So I believe we will see you next Monday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Chase for Face podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We will see you later.